This is episode 63 of the Movie Maniacs podcast. I'm your host, Noah, and joining me, as always, is Patrick Osegan. Patrick, welcome mm-hmm. back to our future retrospective. We took a bit of a, a leave of absence to talk about the Snyder Cut, but once again, we're back to discuss all of David Fitch's films, and it seems to be pretty normal here throughout this retrospective that once again, we're here to talk about one of my all-time favorite films, which is getting pretty normal for me to say as you go through this Fincher retrospective. But anyway, I'm certainly excited to talk about this one. And uh, it's our first 2010 movie. And for listeners who have followed the show, I've got a few things to say about uh, the year 2010. Um, coming, uh, Colin Firth and Tom Hooper, I'm coming. So I got a few <laughs> things to say. I'm, I really get to harp this time and it won't be so unwarranted. Um, but... Before we get into all that, Patrick, let's get into what we've seen recently. So go ahead and start us off. Um, I watched John Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast or La Beauty oh. and La Bette or whatever, La Belle and La Bette. Uh, <laughs> and really enjoyed it. Um, it was really great uh, practical effects as normal with uh, mm-hmm. Jean Cocteau. Um, very magical storytelling, very poetic, you know, since he's a poet. Um, <laughs> felt kind of like a play at times, for sure. Um, yeah. You know, he definitely has that kind of theatrical style. But I think he makes the most of both mediums with film, all mediums, really, with film. That's kind of his his greatest medium, I would say. Um, and, you know, I didn't like it as much as Orpheus, but that was like, kind of a high bar because <laughs> that one jumped to like my number one spot really fast um and hopefully i'm gonna be real re-watching that one uh the rest of his filmography yeah uh, but other than that i've just been plugging away with mindhunter yeah we'll get we'll get to that yeah i'm really excited once we talk about um i guess uh girl with the dragon tattoo once fincher leaves television for a few years that's when we'll bring up 900 for me, also House of Cards, which uh, I'll ask you to talk about as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I have a, a question on Beauty and the Beast by John Cocteau. How did you feel it compared to something like the Disney version? Because you had mentioned this before, and so I am aware that, that this film exists, uh, which mm-hmm. in some cases I, I'm, I don't. But for this one, how, how <laughs> would you say some of the uh, differences were in, in quality? Well, for me, I do not really love musicals, and mm. this is not a musical. <laughs> so right, that right there was a major plus. Um, I, I do, however, like the story of the Beauty and the Beast. The Disney version is, um, I think, one of the best Disney princess movies. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't think that category is really like the top tier um, for film, but I think this is maybe, uh, for me, closer to that tier mm-hmm. than uh, the Disney princess movies are. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, definitely very artsy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Jean Cocteau has a very um, kind of a feminine touch. I don't know if that's uh, uh, offensive to say, um, <laughs> but I appreciate it. I, I like it. I think. Um, he has a real eye for beauty on film, and yeah. um, I like his cinematography a lot more than the animated Disney version. Uh, I think visually it's much more impressive, and 
the there's a lot more uh, humor that I appreciate in his movie than in the uh, Beauty and the Beast version. It's very Disney humor in the uh, Disney version, obviously. Um, oh, yeah, kind of, kind of guaranteed. <laughs> right, but stereotypically so. Um, and in John Cocteau's story, it's uh, much more. I don't know. Poetic is an overused term, especially for a poet. Um, and it just sounds pretentious. But I guess. Sorry, does that answer your question? I kind of forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, that is it. That is it. Well, you know, this was one that, that I had on my eye. And uh, so I cleared things up a little bit because this was something that I've been looking to see for a little bit. So, yeah, that does help. It does help. And I would also agree, for those of you who are just dying to know my thoughts on the anime Beauty and the Beast, I, I'd agree with Patrick that it is one of the better Disney princess movies. Um, but, you know, from what I've, from what I've seen so far uh, since we last talked, I saw Rope by Alfred Hitchcock. This was one of the big Alfred Hitchcock movies that I hadn't seen yet. And I was pretty excited to because this one had James Stewart. And I feel like in many cases, that's where Hitchcock's at his best with Rear Window being my favorite Hitchcock film. And this is kind of one of those like an hour, 20 minute, like one take type of movies where it all takes place in one room. And I really liked it. This may star James Stewart in the cast list. Like he may be up top. But this movie really isn't about him. It's about two other guys. And for, that didn't really detract from the film, even though when James Stewart shows up, he's awesome, just like he always is. And uh, when he's on screen, I really love, really just love the movie. But, you know, Alfred Hitchcock's sense of style is still there. And that's really what makes this, I think, a really good film. Even in the short runtime, Hitchcock built the tension very well. And, you know, I've, I've actually heard some other reviewers say that this is this is detracting from the suspense because of its short runtime. And I understand that. But at the same time, for me, I didn't feel like anything was detracting from it. I like short movies. I miss short movies. I used to love long movies. Now I'm just kind of like, OK, wrap it up, people. Um, but it's so Rope did a pretty good job of that. It's, got, it's a really short movie. It, it goes through you real quickly. It's not as good as Rear Window or Psycho, but it's definitely one of the uploads. I liked it more than uh, North by Northwest, I think, which is one of Hitchcock's uh, more well-known movies than this. And I might even like it more than Vertigo, which I know is kind of a little controversial because that seems to be the holy grail for Alfred Hitchcock. And I just that really didn't grab me as much as Rear Window or Psycho did. Um, but I would definitely give this one a recommend to people who are a fan of James Stewart or Alfred Hitchcock. All of his great sense of styles, that, that it's all here, and just like it is with any of the other movies. I didn't catch the cameo by Hitchcock, which I was kind of disappointed about, because we do have a, uh, we do have one other cut, and it's kind of like panning over the city or whatever. And he's apparently walking by on the street, and I just didn't catch him, which I was pretty disappointed about. But other than that, <laughs> this movie's really good, and I recommend people check it out. Um, one of the other movies I saw, Godzilla vs. Kong. This was a new release, and I'm going to just go ahead and talk about it. I thought this was fun. You know, I saw this Easter Sunday, so after celebrating 
the resurrection, I went to go see billions of people die in Godzilla versus Kong. Hong Kong turned into a war zone in this movie. And I I don't think for some reason I'm so surprised. You know, people got real mad at Zack Snyder for Man of Steel. Oh my gosh, Superman killed so many people. Like he did not destroy an entire city. Godzilla and Kong show up here and just like wipe out Hong Kong in a spectacular fashion. And I haven't heard anyone like rail against that this movie for that. So I'm a little confused on maybe it's the two different audiences, but I'm still like really surprised that. Godzilla and Kong are getting away with this and Superman just can't seem to catch a break. But anyway, this movie I thought was fun. It was fun, you know, and it saw it in big IMAX theater. I haven't been to the IMAX screen since Wendell 1984. So that was really cool. And there were quite a lot of people in my theater, which I was not expecting. You know, I think we we might have mentioned this in another episode, but this had the highest opening since March of 2020. So this movie has done, I guess pretty well <laughs> you know it's not anything radical but it's doing well and i have to say even when we went back to theaters for the first time with tenet my audience was kind of small not a lot of reactions i haven't been i haven't really felt the audience in a viewing of, of the movie since like maybe like rise of skywalker or force awakens this strongly before there was like laughter in the theater and i don't know like maybe some people are used to laughter in their theater i don't know if just because i'm from arkansas and arkansans or whatever don't do that but there were like uproarious there's uproarious laughter in my theater and i didn't think any of the jokes this movie were particularly funny and so i was just kind of like kind of confused looking <laughs> around and then like at the end there's kind of you know one of those epic fist bump moments and there's a guy behind me who goes yeah and starts clapping and I, mm -hmm. I was just just kind of really confused I I was not expecting the audience to be so energetic uh today but they were and that was kind of a cool experience even though it, it did ca catch me off guard because I didn't think the humor in this movie was that funny but when you know this the humans in these monsterverse movies have always been kind of bad you know they've never really i think we haven't really had like a godzilla or kong movie since like the first godzilla movie that had actual great human drama and godzilla versus kong kind of continues that kind of sloppy character writing which i expected going in i mean i'm never like this movie just should have wowed me with its character writing i, I wasn't really expecting that and it was kind of yeah it was pretty mediocre not necessarily everything was bad just mediocre there was they succeeded in giving me some characters i didn't like though and so maybe this says a little bit about me i'm more of a monster fan than i am a human fan when we get into these movies so i'm like cheering for humans to die certain characters when um monsters show up and i got what i wanted in a couple of occasions so that was kind of cool but putting the human characters aside I thought that the monster action was phenomenal. It was a ton of fun. IMAX really aided this movie. I can't imagine somebody watching this on a small screen, even if it's on a TV, you know, this really just felt like an IMAX film. And it's a beautiful film. It's got great futuristic technology that I love to look at. And the monster fights were great. I, I kind of came out of the movie thinking, King Kong's my favorite 
but I'm going to get a poster. It's going to be Godzilla just because he's got the cool design. And so I came in Team Kong, even though I kind of knew where the movie was going and I wasn't wrong. Uh, I this movie's pretty predictable, which is one of the things I would hold against it. You, I was like right next to Jude and told him like what was going to happen an hour in the movie, even though I didn't really like know what was going to happen, and I was right. And so I kind of got that really cool moment for me, but I, it was really predictable, which I, I will say, just don't go into this movie to be wowed by how great the twists and turns are. I saw where a lot of this movie is going. I think other people are going to see, even my dad was like, yeah, you know, I kind of saw the ending coming, you know? And I was like, yeah, I did too. And that, that was, kind of, that is one of the things I'd hold against this movie, but when we get the monster action, I just want to stress this. It's a ton of fun. This is a really fun action. I think people will enjoy. It's absolutely, it's great. You know, I think this is a better movie than Pacific Rim because it's shorter. You people love Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. I don't. I don't really think it's that good. It's a very long movie and it doesn't deserve its run length. And I kind of put this on par with that type of action in some respects, but in many ways here, it feels more realistic. I don't know, because with, with Pacific Rim, everything is so CGI'd, kind of like Avatar, you just don't feel like anything's real. With Gong versus, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, it feels like the only thing that's fake is the is the monsters. Other than that, it really does feel like we're kind of in a, a more realistic surrounding, even though obviously there's a ton of suspension of disbelief in the film. But I'd give this a record, but if you don't want to go see it in theaters, this is on HBO Max. And I think it's a fun time. It's a fun popcorn film. And uh, it's it's a beautiful looking movie. I just want to stress that. It's a really, it's, it's great to look at. So I'd give this a I'll recommend. Yeah, I think people should check this one out. Um, I also saw Die Hard, a classic action movie I hadn't seen yet. And this was kind of a good a little capper for my weekend. And I watched it with dad and it was a ton of fun. This is for me, this is kind of really textbook writing. Like this is what is you know taught often. Just these this really well-made, well thought out writing for characters not even though it's not like the most crazy in-depth oscar-winning acting it really it gets the job done and i think a really good way this is probably my favorite bruce wills performance and uh, it was great you know to see him try you know that's just it was a real surprise and i liked it i like seeing bruce wills try to act you know and and i thought that he did a good job here the Alan Rickman's the villain. I didn't catch that until my dad told me, and I felt real bad because I know him from the Harry Potter films, and I'm kind of a Harry Potter movie fan, even though I like the books more. Um, but this movie's a ton of fun. It's got great action, just great, I think, really solid writing that keeps this movie going. It's got some, I think, some of the emotional moments it goes for works. It's just an awesome movie. You know, I, I didn't, I think once we get about 10 minutes into the movie, I had a smile on my face for the next about hour and a half, the movie goes, it's about two hours. And I just had a smile on my face the whole time. Really fun movie. Uh, so I'd give that a, a strong recommend right up there, you know, for me with like Terminator 2, as just a really great 90s action movie. One of, the one of the better action movies I've seen in a while. And so that was a really fun movie to watch. And then I saw Akira, which was a recommendation to me. And I mentioned that last episode. And I was kind of nervous, you know, going in. I didn't, 
I, I had an idea of what was going to happen with this. I just, you know, I'm not a big anime fan. And this was a, this is a type of anime I haven't dabbled into as much yet. You know, from most of the anime I've seen have been Ghibli films and uh, not really by my choice, just because of recommendations to me. I, I, I just had to sit down and see them. Even though some of them have been good, some of them have been boring. Akira is an interesting movie, Patrick. You know, it's, it's got some really impressive moments, but it also is a little confusing, a little needlessly confusing, I'd say. I, it kind of goes for that. I, I, you know, this is on the page, right? It's, this is based on a manga or whatever. And it's like about like six volumes. And I was kind of thinking, you know, if this was good, I might check out the first volume. I thought, I thought that even though this movie's two hours, I felt the length a lot. And so I don't think I'm going to check out this six volume epic Akira mm -hmm. on the page. So I'm not really going to check it out, even though I do think this is a good movie. It's got some great, crazy anime, just crazy galore, supernatural, mystic, what the heck is going on type of animation and explosions and all that. The third act of this movie, I just didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, there's some really gross moments too. If you love like the sound design from some of the Ghibli films that really just feels kind of gross and uh, Akira's got some of that. There's some really gross visuals here that kind of creeped me out, give me some goosebumps. I thought that the at the, the first act was pretty was probably my favorite just because it had a classic type of storytelling me that felt the most comfortable, even though I can appreciate what the third act does with how crazy it is. You know, it has some kind of that Dragon Ball Z type of woo! it's just explosions and young kids like are the most crazy, powerful human beings on Earth, you know, and all that. And it was good. I, I, I think that anime film, anime fans are bound to enjoy this. I thought it was good. I was kind of by the end, I was like, okay, wrap it up. The, the third act really does go for kind of that, that dream like 2001, just kind of a, you're not really sure what's going on, but it, it really, they're trying to get you into an experience, it felt like. And Akira, it just didn't work for me as much as that movie did. I, I don't know exactly the missteps it took because I'm not familiar with this anime style as, as much as most people would, as much as anime fans would. And I, I understand why people love this movie so much. It just didn't grab me really as much as it seems to have other people. But I can't respect it for a lot of things it does. It's got some great anime art in it, great animation. And it's not as, I don't think it's quite as beautiful as some of the Ghibli films have been. Or, and it doesn't have that, you know, how we talked about with Ghost in the Shell. It really does feel like this is, even though it's an animated movie, it has directing, it has a sense of, you know, direction and just it's such a style, that Blade Runner type of style. And I didn't feel that as much with Akira, even though I think there's some really good animation shots in there. It, it doesn't have anything as, as just dreamlike and beautiful as Ghost in the Shell does. Um, but it's a, it's a good movie. I think people will enjoy this. Some people won't. I'm definitely going to say that. But if you have been an anime fan so far, like Patrick, I think you would like this. I, just with your experience, you know, with things like Cowboy Bebop and all that. After I watched this, I watched the first episode of Cowboy Bebop. I actually liked it better than Akira. So I thought it was really good. Um, but yeah, I, I can see most people enjoying this. As you know, the ratings have said, people do like this. But um, 
you know, wasn't it wasn't my cup of tea. Watch it on Hulu. Okay, good. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was trying to find it. I know I said that I would watch it last episode. I'm sorry I didn't. Um, <laughs> I couldn't find it on any uh, oh, wow. any platforms that I have access to. So <laughs> it wasn't even on Amazon. I was going to rent it. Oh, it wow. wasn't on Prime or it wasn't like available to rent. So I was like, oh, oh. looks like I'm going to have to figure something out. Um, so maybe next episode I'll have seen it. Because it does yeah. sound interesting. I want to, I'm always interested in that uh, 2001 type ending. I actually mm -hmm. forgot to mention that I also watched Solaris by uh, Rakowski. I forget his first name. Um, really great. Very similar to Stalker. I actually enjoyed it better than Stalker. So if you, uh, I know you <laughs> talked about it for a while. Maybe Solaris is the one for you. And it's on uh, HBO Max. It has oh, yeah. some similar themes, but it also has some unique, uh, <laughs> I think, more humanizing moments. Um, but I also probably need to rewatch Stalker because I don't remember really well some of the stuff that they were handling. Um, but the ending is, it, the whole thing kind of has that 2001 feel. Mm -hmm. And it came out like three years after, or four, three years after uh, 2001. So some people thought it was kind of like an answer to 2001 hmm. i didn't really feel that way i mean the book came out in 1961 so it i think it's definitely a separate project but it sh certainly has the same kind of scope as 2001 yeah. but in a much different way in a much more internalized way than 2001 is 2001 is all about like the landscape and the like it's amazing it's mind-blowing but mm -hmm. where 2001 is cosmic solaris is like inner mm -hmm. it goes Ooh. in oh it's just um, so methodical yeah. sounds factor. pretty good right <laughs> sounds pretty good i know so spiritual it's yeah it is one of those films that's hard to describe mm -hmm. which is what i gravitate towards but at the same time it's hard to like really uh recommend something like that you know it's an experience it's like what akira was going for in the ending i'm just gonna hate on akira like you hit on the king's speech <laughs> akira sucks it does not deserve to be called one of the best anime movies of all time, okay? <laughs> the ending is trying too hard to be 2001, and it's not even as good, okay? Solaris did it better the whole time. Solaris is better the whole time than Akira is, okay? It's better. <laughs> well, I have one more, Patrick, before we get into the social network. I've been going, this all is right. a show. I've been talking, I've mentioned this a little bit as the past couple episodes, but I really want to make a point of it this time because it's getting up there. It's one of my favorite pieces of entertainment. Talk about Breaking Bad Ooh. with uh, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. Um, I'm on season four. I predicted I'd be mid season three. Now I'm on season four. So that just kind of tells you how much I'm going through Breaking Bad. I'm loving this show. I am hooked at this point. You can't take breaking that away from me. I just dare someone to try because <laughs> they will lose their eyeballs. I will just gouge them out because I need this show now. I, it's, it's, it's a part of me. I'm just plugged into it. And uh, ooh, the system and all that. Well, anyway, breaking Bad has some great writing, <laughs> great acting. I, I've, you know, the, I love the acting and writing this movie. I, I say, like the direction is always confounded me though with this series. It's really weird. I don't know if it's, good or not 
with all of the um the time lapses and all the the shaky cam it seems that the show does so i don't know if this is good directing or incredible directing you tell me but <laughs> i just i've loved the show the writing is outstanding I, I when i started breaking bad i didn't think that it was going to meet up to the expectations that i had heard and had for it you know i mean this has been hailed as you know some of the best entertainment we've gotten like this century um people really just love this show and i didn't know if this was if this was really going to meet up to that that level of of praise that i'd heard and yet for me, in a way it has, it, it really has just great. It's one of my favorite shows, probably the best. It, it might just kick Bean off as my favorite show. I don't know, but <laughs> you know, I, I really, I love no the way. show. <laughs> I don't, I never know what's gonna happen next. And that's what I love so much about oh, the man. show. It continues to subvert expectations. I never know what it's gonna be at one moment. I think we're in for, and just with the last episode that I watched, we I, I thought we were in for this epic standoff, and then it kind of just stops and goes back to its normal pace, but it's full of great mm -hmm. things after that. I just love what the show's done. I mean, Brian Cranston, I mean, this is an iconic, brilliant performance that he's giving here is Walter White. I never get bored of this character. I'm always finding new things and interesting things with him. He has that, you know, that iconic, just that face, you know, that Brian Cranston makes. We all know the face. And anytime he gives that face, I, I just get little goosebumps, you know. It's I, I'm a fan now. I'm really a fan. Once I finish this, I'm going straight to Better Call Saul. I'm just boom, hopping right on the next uh, Vince Gilligan project or whatever, the the, the breaking bad universe. Uh, I've I love this show so far. I I really do. And you should watch El Camino and then go to Okay, Better okay. Console. That's what I'll do then. So um, yeah, Breaking Bad. I might just have finished the show, but then when we come back, I don't know. We'll see. But um, I I really I really just love this show so far, and I'm hooked. I really am. I I love it. So anyway, Breaking Bad, and now let's get to uh, the Social Network. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, one of my favorite films, which is not uncommon for me to say at this point in our retrospective with Seven, Fight Club, um, man, and Zodiac as well. I didn't want to leave that one out. The Social Network, this was my second Fincher film after Benjamin Button. I just also, this was another one of the cases where I didn't know it was David Fincher. And man, I'm really excited to talk about this one with you, Patrick. This is what I did. A lot of research on you know i had my I had my little blu-ray and then it had the bonus features disc i'm not going to bring up a lot of what i found in my research in my imdb but i will say reading about the making this movie i just really did love to see you know i haven't watched fincher at work a, a whole lot you know it, with his with footage of him directing or anything like that with the exception of the girl with the dragon tattoo which i did do a little bit of a dive in, into that movie and did some and I looked at some of the behind the scenes footage of that. But here though, I really felt you know it was like watching a, a master at work. And I'll really bring up some of the moments here. I I felt that he really really helped this movie along. We're also talking about one of my favorite, if not my favorite writer, Aaron Sorkin here, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm really excited to talk about that. But also, this is a 2010 movie, Patrick. And uh, you know, it's the the King's speech, one best picture. Um 
we had two movies that were nominated, two of my favorite films. We had Inception, we had The Social Network nominated for Best Picture. Christopher Nolan and David Fincher were nominated for Best Director. I don't know which one, which one of them should have won. All I know is Tom Hooper should not have. And you know what? I, I saw the King's speech a few weeks ago. I mentioned it and I said it was pretty good. I liked it. You know, it's got some good stuff in there. It's got a good performance. Is it better than Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuckerberg? One of the most iconic performances of the decade? I think not. I think not, good sir. Um, yeah, I just really, this is my ninth time seeing this movie, The Social Network. This is for me one of probably the most rewatchable movie ever. Even though it's not the movie I've seen the most, this is like slipping into just a warm bath for me when I sit down and watch this movie. It's it's so refreshing. I just can't believe. Oh, don't laugh, Patrick. It's a common expression. Um, oh, but... sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I won't. I just man, I I've already given the key speech just a, a lot of hate and you know what maybe i shouldn't have it because it's not i'm not breaking new ground i mean people know people know even tom hooper i think knows he should have won best director that year and you know what we could talk uh you know let's bring it up patrick which is better because i don't know it's is it inception in the social network because i know it's not king's speech but i i questioned mm. myself throughout uh since we finished the snyder cut and then i sat down to watch the social network for my ninth time which was better, Inception or Social Network, and which direction was better? And you know, these are two of my favorite filmmakers. You know, David Fetcher is my favorite. I also questioned which score was better throughout this week, because these are two of mm. my favorite films, each kind of lurking around that top 10 area, just so close to breaking through with both of my favorite films. And I, I just really I, I love, adore, and respect these movies and it's one of those like you know if i were to type up a review just right now it's one of those movies that just succeeds in every category that a movie can be nominated for you know best score best leading actor uh best directing best choreography you know it's really just it's got it all here and you know i questioned a lot you know which scores are i mean two of my favorite composers here Trent Reznor and Hans Zimmer, you know, it, this that little duology here of Inception, the social network has really messed with me a lot this week. And I haven't even now thinking about it, I, I just don't really know which. For me thinking, I, I kind of thought that Inception was Hans Zimmer's best score. And I'm kind of beginning not to think that anymore because the more I listen to the Interstellar soundtrack, the more and more I like it, even though time, you know, which plays at the end of Inception is probably, you know, for me, being one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, which I know is like not a realistic description of that piece at all. But you know what? This is the type of music I listen to. And that song is an absolute beautiful piece of music. So I don't really know, Patrick. I don't know. Do you have a preference, Inception or the Social Network? Mm. I think personally, I have more of a connection with Inception. I've seen it a lot more, but I think it is pretty close. I'm, I'm really hesitant to even say that because I do really like social network, spoiler alert. Um, and I, they definitely succeed very well in what they set out to do, but they set out, 
each to do something very different. Um, as far as the scores go, if you were to ask me right now, I would say that Trent Reznor's score is better yeah. uh, for the social network. Um, although that is uh, also a big thing to say yeah. because <laughs> I've been a big Hans Zimmer fan mm -hmm. for many years. Um, and so, but yeah, I was really struck with the soundtrack this time around, especially. I was listening for it more too. Yeah, I'm also going to give a bit of a warning here. There's probably going to be multiple occasions throughout this episode where we're going to talk about a scene and Noah is just going to freak out and just gush love all over Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher. So if you're tired of me praising David Fincher and you're already tired of me praising Aaron <laughs> Sorkin, then you probably should just turn this episode off and forget about it because... I mean, what I love so much about this movie and what makes it so rewatchable for me is that there are just, I think this is one of those examples where it's got three incredible scenes that you're never going to forget. And th the search never has three, more than three scenes, I would say, that are just incredible. Mm -hmm. They're going to last forever for me. There, and it also has, you know, those kind of those YouTubeable scenes, you know, if you just want to pull a scene out on YouTube and just kind of go back to this movie for about five minutes. This movie has multiple scenes like that. And it's also got some great, like, quotes. I mean, this is Aaron Sorkin, the master, like, for me, right next, like, Quentin Tarantino for dialogue. You know, I mean, it just pops. You know, it's, it's incredible. There's so many great quotes here. I don't quote this movie a whole lot. I will say there was an experience a few days ago where I kind of did the Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, I got the same thing when I was uh, when this lady <laughs> was counting like change or something at the counter really slowly. And uh, I don't know if that was necessarily a good thing. I pulled that Mark Zuckerberg quote out of thin air, but you know what? I was a little impatient and I just let that, that line just really came to mind there. So this movie really, even it's quotes just stay embedded in me. And there's some great imagery here as well that we're going to get into. Um, but like we've seen, they've always done this French retrospective. Um, last year, uh, 2000, no, 2008, two years ago, David Fincher would have made The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, a movie you and I were kind of just really cold on and gave kind of weak recommends to. We were a little torn on it. Um, but then it seems like he took a two-year break and then came back with the social network. And it's a great pairing here, Aaron Sorkin, David Fincher. This movie did very well. People went to go see it. Has, has not been the case with some certain David Fincher films. I'm glad people went to go see this. This movie just did very well. It did well at the Oscars, even though, you know, it got nominated a bunch. And I think only one twice. It's still, I mean, just had a lot of Oscar buzz around it. Did well at the box office. This movie, I think it was a, it's certainly a success for Fincher. And then next year, he comes back. I'm back, people. You loved me from the social network. And came back, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo flopped. It didn't make its money back. So, yeah, it, this is just kind of really has just, for me, and I don't know if my perception of David Fitch's career is accurate, but it seems to me he just comes out here to the social network, has a good, big success, and then comes back. And people just totally forgot about him. So, you know, it seems to be kind of a pattern here with David Fincher. Um, but anyway, let's go ahead and get into this movie, Patrick. We start out with, I think, one of those, 
you know, great, iconic scenes of the decade. One that I, I know I certainly will ever forget. Rudy Mar and Jesse Eisenberg at the uh, bar took 99 takes. And then, which is classic Fincher, by the way. I mean, we all, Fincher's notorious. He's kind of the next Kubrick who's just known for tearing actors to shreds sometimes because of how many takes he does. And man, you just instantly for me, this is why I think this is such a great scene to show to somebody who who, ha- who doesn't know what they're getting into. I think almost every element is at work here except for the Trip Master score, which is not playing. Um, but we've got the acting, which is great here. We've got the directing, we've got the writing. The dialogue is, is just popping on so many levels. You know, I watched this on my Blu-ray and man, Netflix. You know, I normally have watched this movie on Netflix, which is just has I ha- turned this on religiously because it's been on for I, for a really long time on Netflix, and with this movie, it it, it looks so much fresher than even than the Netflix version did. So I'm already kind of just loving the direction by Fincher even more here, which I didn't know is possible. But I really feel like I, I like I said, it feels like Fincher's back at work here. Even we talked about like with the Curious Case of Benjamin Bunn, I talked about those those shots where we are seeing uh, the character just f- straight on, you know, where they move, the camera moves with their face and all that. And I'm not sure what exactly that's called, but I'm already feeling it here with this conversation. We're keeping in line with the actors' faces. And then, you know, we'll, in, in certain points, we'll pull back to see the full conversation. But man, I'm already on board. I loved it. The, the dialogue is already popping here. There's too many great lines here to quote. Everything here is working for me. And also, this is setting up things that are going to happen later on in the movie and certain character details, which I've actually picked up on this viewing. I've seen this movie like over eight times and and, and I'm still picking up new, new snippets of dialogue that play into the story better. And with the, uh, for me, what was really just a shock to find out is, you know, the, the conversation about Eduardo and the, the meteor thing or whatever and all uh, the oil the, the oil and uh, that, that he then um Zuckerberg's like he's never gonna get to finals club and that's gonna be kind of one of the moments of tension when later down the line spoiler Edwarda does get ex- accepted or into the, the, the phoenix club and all of that and that was just something that I never really picked up on because Zuckerberg's specifically points out that he doesn't think Edward will ever get into a finals club, which is going to play in later into the story and into these characters. I'm already loving it. Rudy Mara is here as well. We don't, I don't think we get enough of this actress. She's going to be in our next feature film, Girl from Dragon Tattoo, which I'm so excited to talk about her performance in that. But I don't think we get enough of this actress. I think she's doing a great job here. And of course, Jesse Eisenberg. We'll talk a little bit more about his performance. Uh, but Patrick, go ahead. What do you think? Um, huge start right off the bat. You get so much of uh, Mark Zuckerberg's personality as he's going to be portrayed in this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, the <laughs> I really love Rini Mara's performance. She definitely kind of like provides that audience perspective, especially since mm-hmm. we're kind of being um, not really ambushed, but we're, we're still a little surprised in this first scene, at, like some of Zuckerberg's uh, 
mannerisms or how he responds to the situation, which we get pretty used to, I feel like, throughout the movie since we follow him so closely. And by the end, we're even more on his side than I think we are in this opening movie or opening scene, which is really interesting to start out the movie um, kind of against the main character. Like he doesn't really come out of this scene looking very well. No. Um, and it's, it's a kind of a defeat for him right off the bat, which is super interesting. And it also in a way sets up almost an underdog story, which is kind of funny to say about Mark Zuckerberg, but <laughs> um, right. I, I think it sort of applies. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, the writing is great. Yeah, I, I really just picked up on this viewing, just how scattered this conversation really is. I mean, this is great, great writing here. We're just, we're talking about one point and then Zuckerberg will completely switch to every conversation. Remar will answer and it'll answer, it could answer to like the wrong question or whatever. And I just mm -hmm. love how, how scattered this conversation is. And, you know, Rudy Mara, she doesn't, this character is, you know, like many things in this movie, made up. Sorkin is not a factual writer. He does not <laughs> take the facts very well. And um, with here, this character is made up for the movie. And, you know, I don't think that, she keeps up with Zuckerberg intellectually with you know the conversation and all that, but she totally trumps him morally. And we get that scene later on when Zuckerberg confronts her kind of midway into the movie. And it, it's really, I think that also is another great scene for, for Rudy Mara because she's, she isn't keeping up with just how fast the conversation is moving. But what she is doing is that she's in the end playing the smackdown on him uh, by proving just what an absolute jerk he is. And that's, I think, what we love so much about this character and in a way about the Mark Zuckerberg character as well. And that, that I, like I said, great scene, an iconic scene too. I mean, when people pull a, a scene from the social network, this is going to be one of the scenes that they, they pull from. And then, you know, right after here, we get another great thing that Fincher does. He gives us some great tracking shots, right? I talked a little bit about that with Fight Club. Really great tracking shots here as... Zuckerberg is walking to Harvard and man, that shirt, the score comes in and I just got mm -hmm. really excited because man, this is, I just want to stress this, this is one of the best scores of its decade. It's a score I turn on quite often just, you know, for deep thinking, <laughs> um, but really just, this is a really a, a score I think that really just helps you concentrate. It's man, it, so many great moments throughout this movie where I think the score just brings what I think is brilliant material here. I mean, to that next level. And man, I, I just had a great time just even with the movie, just listening to this music, noticing it, you, you can't miss it. You know, I mean, even I think on my very first viewing of the social network, I noticed just the score and its many different ways and how it plays throughout the movie. This is an iconic score. The theme's iconic. It's got many other great moments as well. I mean, this is the score that I think really made me a Trittner fan. And why he is now one of my favorite composers, I think that he's giving us a, a great piece here, just right off the bat. And, you know, we're already seeing Fincher, Fincher work here with these great tracking shots. And it really is giving us a kind of a, a great glimpse of, you know, of Harvard, you know, and see kind of some of the later locations that characters will be meeting at kind of later on in the movie you know this movie it's already just kind of setting things up right before we get the actual title card yeah with the first scene i i had remembered that that was 
you know, how the movie began. I was kind of like, yeah, this is all as expected. But as soon as that score hits, as soon as those first notes came into my ears and hit my brain, the entire experience of the first time I watched the movie was pulled back into my conscious mind. I was like, whoa, like I was I was engaged in the movie from that point on um, in a way that sometimes I don't get engaged with in an entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was mostly down to score, but it was also down to the directing by Fincher, his tracking shots here, um, the whole environment following Zuckerberg. He's, you know, he, obviously we can't really tell if he's a loner or anything, but he does mm-hmm. seem kind of like um, isolated. Um, he seems to belong in, on the campus, but also he seems to kind of be like passing through. And we get all that just from the direction. I mean, I know I've seen the movie before, but <laughs> like I really was feeling it just on based on how he's framed um, next to his surroundings. And mm-hmm. the soundtrack, I think, also uh, gives us a lot of those feelings as well. Really great stuff by Trent Reznor. Yeah, it, it, this is what starts a, I think, a great partnership, kind of what a... Uh... Hans Zimmer is to Christopher Nolan, Trent Reznor is now to David Fincher, you know, I mean, since this movie, Fincher has not made a movie without Trent Reznor doing the score for it, you know, later with Girl with, Girl with the Giant Tattoo, Gone Girl, and Mank, Trent Reznor's been there for all of them, and I'm not complaining because this guy is really, <laughs> even later down the line, is going to give us some great, I think just great piece of music, but I do think this is the best we're going to see of him throughout, even though he is going to give us some great stuff. This is when I want to listen to true Trent Reznor music and Atticus Frost. I just want to mention he is here as well. People forget about the man. I forget about the man, but he is here as well. And they're both doing some great stuff here. And this is, if I want to listen to them, this is the soundtrack that I'm going to pull out. And it just really, it's, it's an immersive soundtrack and it sucks you in. Like you said, it totally plants you right into the environment of the movie and what this movie is going to be like and just the way it's shot I and mean, this is when you really want to be cynical this is like some biopic you know but it is so much more than that and even you know watching the uh documentary and the behind the scenes no one went into this movie wanting to tell a movie about the making of facebook that wasn't the plan this is a movie you know when we get to border this is a story about friendship you know and how they both came up with this idea and it tore them apart you know this is not about i don't think the making of facebook and even with you know some of the things we have to say about social media are not that's not the largest theme of this movie i, I think it really is boiled down to this betrayal and that we're, that's what we're going to see play out later down the line as this movie goes along and what that the, the reason I watch this movie is not because it's about Facebook. It's, it's, this is a much more than Facebook. I think that's why this movie just lives so much longer and why it's going to be so rewatchable later down the line. Even, you know, and we we're already kind of seeing this for Facebook. I, I thought it was so funny that, you know, Sean Parker is going to show up later on and just talk about how cool Facebook is. You know, you got to keep that cool. And now, you know, you go, to Facebook and see your your grandmother posting minion memes, you know, which just kind of been a bit of a thing now. And 
Facebook, it does seem like it has kind of lost that coolness, you know? And that was something I, I thought was really interesting going back to this movie and seeing just how, how cool Facebook is, you know? And I think even, even at the time of this movie, I do think that the coolness of Facebook was already kind of waning, even though, you know, they're joking about $1 billion and now it's like worth over 800, over 800 billion, you know, it's things like that. And seeing how some of the things this movie has aged even if they don't factually stand up, the way some of the things have changed here, I think really add to the rewatchability of this movie and how, how it lives longer than just a, a, a movie about how we made Facebook. You know, it does, I think, transcend that, that small little plot point. Yeah, it's definitely a drama on its own, right? Mm -hmm. Not just a biopic. Yeah, and, and just in this next scene too, with... The first opening scene, we're getting, you know, characters who are like being set up character details. And here, though, we're really getting a month in this next kind of, I call it the angry blogging scene. Um, kind of will be good. Now, it, now it's angry tweeting. It used to be angry blogging. And this is I, I, one of my other favorite scenes as well. The score switches into another great piece by Trent Reznor. This is where... The, we really get that iconic, you know, Aaron Sorkin, where the dialogue is just moving so fast, you know, you got to keep up and, you know, it makes coding interesting because this movie I saw, I think for like the second time I rewatched it, I was like, you know, I might try this, this coding thing. And I was going to try and get into it. And it has, I realized just how boring it was. And so my idea of being a coder or whatever quickly evaporated in 10 minutes after I actually learned what it's all about. But Fincher and Sorkin, they make it feel interesting, both with their dialogue, the way the whole thing is edited, the way it's just so kinetic and so energetic, even though what they're doing is probably actually, you know, kind of boring. They make it, they get the blood pumping, you know, and then we're, we're intercutting with a, a Harvard party at the Phoenix Club, which is probably the most prominent, you know, club, I guess, that is that is mentioned throughout the movie, even though two characters in this movie come from a different club. I, th I think all of this stuff is just, it's really great. And I wanna mention here, the editing for this movie is incredible. I mean, this is some of my favorite editing out there. We're gonna get into it later at the court scenes. I think that this is just great editing. And then when Andrew Garfield comes in, this is definitely my favorite performance by him. I think he gave a great, Great performance as well. I don't know if he got nominated for this or not. He should have, though, if he didn't, because I really love what yeah. Eduardo's doing here as well. I rewatched this with my parents, and I was like, yeah, that Eduardo, he's my favorite. Um, but probably because he is the most likable character in the movie. And I just mm. think that this character's got some great things to add. It, it starts off instantly. I, I'm going to say just this, the chemistry between Eisenberg and, and Garfield here it's so kinetic every scene it, it's almost like something from the office you know and so it's, it's just uh, how cringy it is you know just, and just how frankly rude mark zuckerberg is to Eduardo in some of these scenes and you know like Eduardo's coming in here and it already just starts off on such an awkward note when uh, when zuckerberg's like i need you like i'm here for you and no we need the algorithm or something like that you know it just it already sets up like how little Zuckerberg seems to think of their friendship and how he really, he's just here, he's here to get money. 
and he's here to get some advice from Eduardo on certain things like the coding and algorithms and all that. But really, there's mm. it's a rare scene when we see these two actually have like a moment of friendship. And when those scenes come, you know, I'll point them out. They're noticeable. They're well done. And yeah. I think that just this is the, the best relationship, I think, in this movie is the relationship between Zuckerberg and Eduardo. Every scene of them is on fire. And this, I think, this scene really starts off the relationship in a great way. It's, it, we already, even without having to explicitly, we, we don't ever had to describe Eduardo. Just seeing him at work here in this scene, kind of his nervousness and not really wanting to crash the Harvard network, you know, and getting kind of nervous and fidgety about it. And Zuckerberg just, you know, he couldn't care less. This is what he's here for, you know? And already that there's the dynamic and the character details here without even explicitly saying them, they're all here and so well done. I'm really getting credit working here because this is him at work and man, he's really given us something great here. Yeah, this relationship is kind of the emotional core of the film. And mm -hmm. I, I chalk it up to like all the technical elements are there, I agree, but I chalk it up mainly to the actors just because yeah. They're so next level in this movie, honestly, like both of them. And they really are some of the better actors of their generation. Um, I mean, whatever you want to say about Lex Luthor or Amazing Spider-Man 2, yeah. they both have really great performances in many different movies. But mm -hmm. this is kind of both of their, maybe not pinnacles, but a high note for both of them in their careers. And I think part of it is because the way they play off each other, like you said, their chemistry is Amazing, top notch. It they reminded me a lot of uh, Heat, actually, with Al Pacino mm -hmm. and Robert De Niro. That same kind of uh, chemistry between two great actors at yeah. the top of their game. Yeah, I agree. And I think to a certain point, Garfield came out with this movie, and I think people noticed his performance, just just how great it was. And since then, he's given us other great performances you know, Silence, Hacksaw Ridge, you know, he's continued, I think, to give us great performances with, with Jesse Eisenberg. It's a really interesting one. He got nominated for this movie, which is a plus, I think. And since then, though, has he really done anything to keep the the expectations we had for him later down the line as an actor going? I don't think so. Mm. You know, I... He I don't know when it came out, but I did really like him in The Squid and the Whale. That was the one thing mm. that I was That was 2005. Other great performances. Yeah. Well, there you go. I guess I guess that was his pinnacle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I've liked him in other things. You know, The Art of Self-Defense is a really great dark comedy that I love. And, you know, but he's really just kind of, you know, quirky comedies. And then, you know, Lex Luthor, mm. who yeah. I, you know, I'm sorry. I know it's not breaking any ground. I just don't really like that iteration of Lex Luthor. I get what they were going for. They were going for, you know, that kind of evil, you know, Mark Zuckerberg type of thing, which is, you know, it really was spot on casting, I think, for what they were trying to do. It just didn't really work for me. Maybe and too spot on. Yeah, maybe too spot on. And yeah, I don't really think that he has kind of done anything else that has been just really been great, really been noticeable since then. And which is unfortunate because I wish he had. I'm sure he's done other good things, but he's never even gotten close to the level that he has here at the Social Network. And it's just a great performance. Like I said, it's iconic. You know, just that image of him in the pajamas and all of that and the flip-flops. <laughs> I really want to credit the uh, the costume design for this movie because it adds so much to the characters here. I hadn't picked up on it as much as I had in my past viewings, but here, though, what, what just seeing what Eduardo's wearing, 
what Sean Parker will be wearing. They they say everything about the character. Just by looking at them, you know the type of character they're going to be. I think it's it's spot on. The attention to detail is is great. And yeah, it really just with Zuckerberg, you know, he you actually Mark Zuckerberg has kind of discredited this movie. Understandably, I'm sure he probably doesn't like the way he's portrayed here. I don't know. Will we get into is Mark Zuckerberg this bad? Did they go too easy on him? We'll probably talk about that at some point. But here, though, he is kind of said, Oh, yeah, the movie went very realistic, not very good. But I think I actually wore some of the t shirts that are in this movie. So, you know, just the detail <laughs> they have like that, I think it's just a credit to Fincher and the costume design people behind the scenes as well, just the attention to detail here. I absolutely love. Yeah, and I also want to credit once again the editing for this movie. As you know, we're cutting back and forth. It is so well done. And this movie just really nails it when it chooses to cut to something later down the line of in the future or something that's happening happening simultaneously. I think that it really just fits in well here. And you know, with what this scene is doing with the face mash is already kind of some of the seeds that that um, Facebook is going to set up later on down the line, this type of, you know, pick and choose type of thing and co comparison. It's it's already happening here in, I think, a really good way. So, yeah, this is another, it continues just the strong point of that opening scene, and it's just continuing to impress me. And after this, it, it slows down a bit. You know, we've got, we're really learning more about Zuckerberg's his the way he's living his life right now in Harvard as kind of this outcast, you know, and he kind of, I think he does put on this kind of I don't care attitude towards it, but we'll see later on down the line that this is not something when he when he does get on top later, this isn't something he wants to return to. And so these little scenes here, they're they're working for me as well. And then we get the Winklevoss twins, which you know which is legendary, you know, really, they do feel very mustache twirling in some of their scenes here. You know, we've got Army Hammer here, two Army Hammers. Um, the other one is Josh Pence, who's the second legal boss, whatever. They switched him multiple times. I'm not sure which is which, but I have to say, I told my dad later down the line after watching this movie that those were two actual guys and they just used CGI. And he didn't know that. He's like, what? I don't believe you. You know, it was just, it, we talked about with the Curious Case Benjamin Button, you were a little kinder to the CGI in that movie than I was. I thought, I did think it was good, but I thought it had a little, a few more weak points here though. I mean, this is perfect. It really is. Like, I'm like, you cannot discredit how great the CGI is. I, I didn't see the strings. You know, I, I don't see any lines, you know, it's so well done. I don't think there's ever a weak moment for the CGI. If there is, I missed it because I can't find a single one here. I, I think this is great performances by Army Hammer. I think he does a great job in this movie. I really, I, I liked him kind of in The Lone Ranger. I know that's a movie that not many people like. I kind of, it's kind of a guilty pleasure, but you know, that's basically the only other thing I've seen him in. I really love what he does here. I love this kind of dynamic. And then um, I don't know who this um, the Avenger guy or whatever. I'm not sure what his name is, but I do think that he also did a very good job here. I think he gets a little 
like people kind of forget about this character but i think he's out also a lot of fun even though i think the week of austin twins are kind of the the more prominent figures he's also he keeps up as well i think the, these guys have a great introduction you know they they kind of they recruit you know which was set up in the in the first scene i just love how that come comes back and kind of it's just kind of a little detail here and what i also loving when they meet mark zuckerberg is just kind of the, i'm really noticing some little jabs here in the dialogue you know just kind of the small little insults they'll give at certain points i, I think are just are really really well done that at, at, in certain points a character will kind of like in, in, insult someone in this really small in this really small like offhand type of way and that's something i think sorka does quite a bit as well just kind of they try to brush over it with later with later bits of dialogue but the, but the biggest thing you're taking is that small little jab or insult to the other person i think it that is also at play here the winklevoss twins and the, their meeting with mark zuckerberg I think I I really do love what these two are doing here and later down the line in the movie as well. And they are a little mustache running at times, which I think is fine, but they've got some, I think, really fun scenes. I also want to mention, you know, going back to that scene we were talking about earlier with the angry blogging and all that, this movie is a ton of fun. And it's also, it can be really funny as well. There's some really good comedy here that, I mean, this that made me laugh. Like I laugh when I watch this movie at, at certain points and, yeah, I, I do think that that helps quite a bit as, into the rewatchability of this movie, as I've mentioned before, where, you know, something like Seven, you know, has its moments of kind of chuckles, but they're more nervous chuckles, you know, kind of like, <laughs> everything's so disturbing. But with the social network, it it does feel like there are some fun, some a lot of fun moments here and some and some funny lines. Well, the comedy here is, a, is in full force here at the Winklevoss Twins in their later meeting with the head of Harvard, that which is one of my personal favorite scenes. Um, yeah, I, I love what these two are doing here and in, in this in this introduction to it and what they do later on in the movie. Yeah, I have to say I did notice one or two times the face swap thing. Um, it is really well done, but I think in Benjamin Button I was more forgiving because it's a fantastical concept. So like you're kind of already suspending your disbelief anyway, but since this movie is so grounded, it was very like it was more um, more of an uncanny valley feeling when you saw the face thing, especially when they're about to walk into the bike room and he's got the little muffler hat thing going with sunglasses. Um, that was one particular moment where I noticed it. Um, but the performance by Army Hammer is really good, and I think he doesn't get as, enough credit. For his performance um mm -hmm. i mean I, you definitely you definitely gave him enough credit but in generally people <laughs> kind of overlook his performance here and in other stuff um he's really a great actor and <clears throat> he's in full force here the little like mischievous villain i think i i agree he's a little more forgettable uh i i enjoy the scene with you know the acapella group i thought that uh -huh. was a good little i think that's kind of his shining moment um <laughs> but yeah <laughs> The uh, the jabs are actually the funniest part of the movie in a mm -hmm. lot of ways, um, and it's very it's very consistent and constant throughout the movie. Yeah. So it you know it's really never a dull moment, um, which you know is fitting, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see them as mustache twirling. They're honestly like kind of 
incompetent villains, which is kind of adds mm. to the humor of it. But um, they're they ham it up a few times. I feel <laughs> they they ham it up, but I think it's in a realistic yeah hamming up. Like they they're almost I, ironically hammering hamming it up. Like when uh, one of them finally like gives in to the whole lawsuit thing, and then <laughs> the little yeah. Munchkin guy like gives him a big hug. Like that was very <laughs> like kind of self-aware but um mm-hmm. over the top like we're gonna you know really screw this guy um <laughs> but so you know it's it's they're likable mm-hmm. um which you know and sometimes you can't really say about mark zuckerberg in this movie or yeah. about um i forget his name sean sean parker yeah sean parker yeah Sean Parker is not always the most lovable guy in this movie. No, but, um, he's not. Everyone, everyone has their moments. Yes. Everyone has their moments in this movie, which is very realistic. And I think, I mean, we'll touch on this more later, but as far as like the jabs of the Winklevoss twins to Mark Zuckerberg, it shows how Mark Zuckerberg is kind of trying to portray himself in this movie as, um, you know, this kind of like, godlike intellect figure you know who like has no emotions and you know that's why like he's an a-hole because you know he doesn't even like realize what he's doing because he's just like socially inept but he's a genius mm-hmm. um but with the Winklevoss twins and with other things like Eduardo's whole story with him it shows how easily he is insulted and how deeply he feels those insults and also how he struggles to handle those kinds of emotional setbacks in his life, even from the very beginning of the movie with the first scene, mm-hmm. um, which really humanizes him, which I think is kind of um, one of the main goals of any biopic. And this one does it really well. Yeah. And with our introduction to the Wake of Austrians, we also start off the courtroom scenes. And, you know, Aaron Sorkin does courtroom scenes really well. We saw it with the trial of Chicago 7 last year. And here, it's definitely his, his, his best stuff with the, with the courtroom scenes here. I love it. I think the actor who plays as the Winklevoss twins lawyers, the, as, his, as the lawyer, is my favorite lawyer out of the three that we get here. He... he does not get enough credit I think for what this guy is doing here I really love this performance as well it's a small performance I get it but I love what he does here the when Fincher and the editing team are making the decisions at certain points when to cut back to the to the courtroom scenes I think it's always the best Mm -hmm. moment they never have a a false it flows really well it does and there's never a moment I don't think in the movie where I'm like oh they should have they should have cut that out. They shouldn't have cut it at that moment. They they know when to cut and they do it at the exact right moment. This is where, you know, some of those jabs are, some of those great lines, you know, the, you think I deserve it. You think I deserve your full attention. You know, really one of the, one of my, one of my personal favorite lines in the movie, you know, and man, it, it, it really is some of the, some of the great comedies here as well, but it really adds up to your drilling rushing at certain points where the music is really swelling and we're cutting back and forth really rapidly. I think these these this editing it scenes really do add to the to some of the drilling you can get out of these scenes. We also have Rashida Jones here as kind of like the glorified assistant. I don't know what she's doing here, but you know, this really 
this character, I, I think this movie is practically perfect in almost every way except for this character. I don't go with Rashida Jones' this movie. I like Rashida Jones. I think she does a good, she does a good job here. I, I know her from Parks and Rec and all that, and she's really good in there. But here, this character just does not ring as true as I think she should. And, you know, the, the two lines, you, you have that one, that iconic Erica, is it Erica Albright or whatever her name is? I'm not sure. But that, yeah, okay, that, that one Erica line, and then you have the one Rashida Jones line towards the end of their conversations. And, the, and Rudy Mara gets the best line easily for me like mm. the one with Rashida Jones does not ring as true you know I, I think it doesn't really yeah I I, I really do I I yeah. don't think that it adds as it, it doesn't speak to me as much as that line with Erica did and I'm surprised you did the same thing Patrick because I'm getting a little pushback here and I don't know I yeah just, I'll have to fight you on that one a little bit <laughs> all right well let's go well i I think it comes at the right time, that line. I think it comes at the point where, um, you know, there's that one shot of Zuckerberg's face. It's just a face shot of him kind of realizing like, wow, like this, I've been on this crazy ride and along the way, I've lost a girlfriend, a best friend, this guy that I thought was my friend, but turned out to just be kind of a, a, you know, not so great character. (laughs) <laughs> and I've got this company, but where am I at with like my human relationships? Mm-hmm. You know, this is kind of, this is kind of lonely and you get all that in that one shot, but Rashida Jones saying that he's just trying really hard to be this asshole that people say he is rings true because, you know, <sighs> He, you know, he confronts Sean Parker. He says, you know, you didn't have to be that hard on him. And he's very firm on it. You know, he's, he understands that it's not necessary to show off and to have all this, um, you know, sarcastic bravado that he touts um, in order to, you know, make this company or to make business decisions to, you know, deal with the human side of people or of, of the situation, sorry. And I don't know, I thought it was summed up pretty well in the line by Rashida Jones. I don't know, it's probably just like a how it strikes you thing. It just struck me as working and it just struck you as not. <laughs> yeah, in, I'm also gonna say maybe it is a difference in performances here. I'm not sure, I see your point. I get what the line is going for and you know, you cited a good scene with with Sean Parker and Mark Zuckerberg, which is a very good, I think, character detail for him. And I do get that. I just don't feel like, for me, the line with, with Erica summed it up, I feel like, better than the line that Rashida Jones gets here, even though I do understand what both, what both lines are going for. It just didn't, I don't think it cleared it up as well as, as Rashida Jones, as excuse me, as Mara did, but yeah, I I get what you're saying. I do. I, it's not a bad line. I just think it was a slight for me. It was a slight misstep in a in a in a script with full of, full of wonderful lines. It just did not ring as true as I think that Aaron Sorkin would have liked it too. I think when Rooney Mara says her line, it's true. 
Um, I mean, the lines are not contradictory, which is important, but I think early on in the film, he's trying hard at everything. Like he, he's trying hard to be an asshole. He's trying hard to be, to start a computer company. Like he's just trying really hard in every area. Now that he has some kind of success, he's looking back a little bit in the depositions and saying, okay, what is the totality of all this? I've been trying really hard, what next? And I think Rashida Jones kind of gives him that what next with the statement by saying, you're, you've been trying really hard. Now you don't have to try as hard. Now you can focus on other things. Hmm. You know, like you're going to settle. This will be kind of out of the way and you can move on with your life. But how are you going to move on? Are you going to learn from the past or not? And it, it, I, I get what you're saying that it didn't totally like ring, like, you know, uh, pitch perfect. But for me, I thought it, I thought it did. Yeah, we'll just have to, agree to disagree but i do say that it does kind of the thing the line does best for me is kind of fits into the the tragedy of mark Zuckerberg that kind of happens later down the line with our you know our final like our final moment with mark when we get to the end but yeah i do think it adds well to that to the final ending for me it just didn't quite encapsulate the movie as as well as i thought the other rudy marlon did but moving on i do think that one of the problems Aaron Sorkin has as a writer is that sometimes he's so caught up in his dialogue that he forgets, you know, to craft like an actually like great story. And something that I really loved in the behind the scenes is how much Fincher kept Sorkin kind of in line with, with his writing, with his script, because I think Sorkin can get a little too bogged down in his writing, in his, in his dialogue. And what, that was one of my favorite things to see in the behind the scenes documentary and is what I think I loved the most about it is because I think the reason this is Aaron Sorkin's best movie is because he's got Fincher with him kind of keeping him in check more than I think any other director does it and you know later on with the exception of Moneyball he's directing his movies now you know and I think that kind of gives him a little more freedom and I do think that Sorkin does need to be a little controlled more at times on how crazy his his scripts can get with its dialogue and kind of forgetting more about the story but when we are getting the, our story here with you know with the help of Fincher and we're getting to making a Facebook this isn't what the movie's about but as we're seeing Facebook be created here kind of certain moments of Zuckerberg coming up with an idea for Facebook and all that and then we're getting the, the small those little scenes with with Eduardo and, you know, for me, one of their best scenes is when they're outside in the cold, you know, and Zuckerberg is kind of pitching him the idea of Facebook and all of that. And it, it, it has that that great cringe quality that some of their other scenes have had. And I think one of its best ways. And also later on when he's asking for money and all that, I, I just think this all is working so well. But as we're seeing the creation of Facebook, we're seeing some of the just the uncomfortable and cringe moments of Zuckerberg and Eduardo's relationship. And I think it's working really well here as we're kind of moving along here with the creation of Facebook and as we're seeing their friendship continue, whether it's declining or however you want to look at it. I, I do really love those small scenes that we're getting with Eduardo and seeing him kind of, you know, on his trials for the Phoenix Club, those little scenes, those are fun as well. And I did like them. Creation of Facebook is definitely secondary to the relationships um 
and it like even with like the Sean Parker scene where he says they'll get him on two continents like that's a huge step for Facebook but the focus of that moment is on Sean Parker being like brought into the fold mm-hmm. um and that you know Zuckerberg and Parker sir so Um, you know the conversation is about Facebook but what's actually happening is in the relationships yeah and let's go ahead and get into Sean Parker just a Timberlake here which I have to say just right off the bat great casting you know I don't know what Justin Timberlake had done as an actor before this I'm not a Justin Timberlake fan but this is a great performance and for him to be playing Sean Parker, this kind of this guy who you know brought down the record companies and all of that. And to have this this well-known musician and artist play this character, I thought it was just some really great meta casting. And, you know, there's a lot of hype around this performance. Like, should he get nominated for an Oscar? I don't know if I'd say that, but this is a really fun performance. And I didn't expect Justin Timberlake to be this good going in, but he's, a ton of fun here. His introduction, you know, like the introduction to me, these characters. Is, <laughs> yeah, it's really well done. Just with, you know, one of my favorite pieces of the soundtrack with Trent Messner here playing in the background. And it's also got that great editing cutting back and forth to uh, the Eduardo's like lawyer interviewing him about how this whole meeting went down. And Andrew Garfield is doing just such a great job at describing it. You feel his uncomfortable his kind of anxiety throughout the whole the whole scene i just think it plays out so well here i I love this scene i love the introduction the way he just comes in and takes control over everything and you feel like now he's the one on top even it almost feels like the i don't know if it was i think it is i think that the decision to be like 25 or 24 minutes late or whatever that was a choice i think that was like genuinely i think that was an intentional choice to be late i think it's all part of his tactics here he's all he's coming in he's here to take control and he does he succeeds he mark is awestruck and he just pushes eduardo over to the side and he just comes in and he leaves just so quickly it, it plays it's so great it's a great four to five just great kinetic minutes yeah the shonathan is one of my favorite scenes in the movie um but in addition i think his his initial um introduction scene is really cool because it's kind of a mirror of zuckerberg's of the first scene of the movie zuckerberg's introduction scene and it shows how in Zuckerberg's mind, Sean Parker is pretty much everything that Zuckerberg wants to be, but yeah. isn't really yet. Like he's on the other end of having this really successful company that, you know, he got kicked out of or whatever because he's so cool. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he, in his introductory scene in particular, he has the girl, you know, like Zuckerberg's introduction has him losing his girlfriend. Sean Parker's literally waking up in a girl's bed, you know, he's, you know, uh, having some witty repartee with her, whatever you say that, <laughs> um, you know, they're bouncing back and forth and he's, you know, he's because he's just like a twisted genius and he's a technology nerd and it's like, when Zuckerberg sees that guy roll into the restaurant, he's like you said, he's immediately awestruck and like, this is me. 
if I was who I thought I was, you know, like if I was, you know, the person that I tried to project to the world, but that, you know, people see through, like, this is who I want to be. Um, so it, it's, it's really great. I think it comes down to the directing for sure. Mm -hmm. um, the way Fincher, probably the way he guided Sorkin, I guess, to write these scenes to be mirrors of each other, those two scenes, and then to have the, I mean, it's just a fun scene. Come on, mm -hmm. it's just fun. Yeah. The Marlin, and like, I love the callbacks to the Marlin later. That was one thing that I didn't notice the first time I watched it, when he's talking about the, the Marlin and the trout later with the mm -hmm. chicken. Like, don't fish eat other fish. <laughs> like, oh man, didn't see that the first time around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really love that stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and, I, and even <laughs> Sean Parker even has a similar hairstyle to Zuckerberg in many ways, kind of the short curls and all that. You do feel the similarities between them and just how he's so close and yet there's and just so far away from becoming this person. I think that mm -hmm. it's it, it is such a great dynamic here. And what do we kind of see? later down the line like we really love him like we we're kind of right with Zuckerberg like we're instantly kind of attached to Sean Parker like we really love what Justin Blake is doing here and he just kind of gets worse and worse and worse as the movie goes along he just kind of he begins to spiral down gets a little more sinister just gets a little more devious and I do think that that's a it we we do kind of our love for him dwindles more and more as the movie goes on. Like he is not as fun, you know, by the end, but he's just some blabbering, you know, crackhead in this really smoky like <laughs> house. I don't know what he's doing, but he's just rambling. He's nuts. You know, it's kind of the, the, the worst parts of Sean Parker as, as a person, just in full blue, he's just rambling. He's nuts. And I do think that just that dynamic that the audience has with him is just really well done as well. And, you know, when we we're going back to the Winklevoss as well with the the Harvard scene, I, I've got to talk about this scene because this is some I think it's a really underrated scene, just how fun I think and funny this scene is. And I think it's a great scene for the Winklevoss friends. You do kind of get some of their frustration here. Like, I don't know how far you would go with the Winklevoss twins, but there is kind of there are there they have their moments where you do kind of understand where they're coming from here. And there is kind of like, you do kind of feel a little sad for them at some points, you know, when they're rowing in second in the, uh, in the, the rowing scene. And they're, everyone's just like, oh yeah, we saw it on Facebook, you know, it's here. And, the, that, and then Mark Zuckerberg just comes right back. And, you know, like he, even when he's far away in a whole other country, Facebook and Zuckerberg is still haunting them, you know? And I think this Harvard scene's mm -hmm. one of the more comedic sides of that. But when we get into the scenes here in, in Europe, that's where, you know, it is kind of a little more, it is more rough. You do kind of get some of their frustration in the scenes, even though, yeah, they're probably not in the right most of the time. You do, you do understand, you do feel a little sympathetic towards them. Like, yeah, they'll see us again. And it's not in first place, you know, when we get into the, the end credits later down the line, you know. So it is kind of a, a bit of a spiral down for them is kind of the respect that they thought they had at first. And then they kind of lose more and more as they're kind of testing the level of respect they have with meeting the, the head of Harvard. And he just totally slaps them around, you know, and they actually played him, did, a, I think, a really fun job as well, gave a really fun performance. So I'm loving all this stuff as well when we're going back to the Winklevosses as well, even though with the, the uh, stuff with Zuckerberg and Eduardo, that is, like you said, the heart of the movie. We are getting, I think, some fun scenes here as well with the Week of Lost Twins and in the courtroom scenes as well. It's not forgetting about those because they, they've got some great moments in there as well. 
Yeah, I mean, we lost my joints by meeting Cali, like the uh, the honor of Harvard, you know, and like the Harvard like uh, student guidebook and all these like idealistic um, concepts. And like you said, they're totally shot down. And it kind of like is a slap in the face to them because they are expecting Zuckerberg to be held accountable for these tactics that aren't really illegal or technically immoral, but are a little bit, um, you know, he's he knows what he's doing and he's trying to get ahead. And this authority position that they're going to, they're going to appeal to him. But this guy, this position of authority, he's there because he's acted more like Zuckerberg than like the twins um, throughout his life. And they are a little naive in that they think the authority figures are there because they, you know, followed the honor codes and, you know, just respected the Harvard, you know, student guidebook or whatever. (laughs) Um, So it it definitely shows how they, their naivety, I guess. Mm. And I have to say, it's when we're getting these scenes with the Winklevoss twins, we're focusing more on their storyline. There's a there's a, like a little montage that we get here of Fincher and Sorkin making something that seems so uninteresting. It's just something really like gets your like blood rushing. It gets you really you get your adrenaline pumping. It gets you really excited. It's when the lawyer is like reading off emails. Like how boring is that? And then. We get this, <laughs> the Reznor score and Fincher's directing and Sorkin's great dialogue mesh them all together. And it's this really fun montage of just like how like Zuckerberg is totally ignoring the Winklevoss twins. And all this is another one of my favorite scenes as well, because it moves it's so fast. It's it really like it gets your adrenaline pumping. And we're just sitting here listening to this lawyer read off emails like that just like on paper sounds boring, but put into here with Fincher and Reznor's score and of course Sorkin's great dialogue, I think it's a really fun scene, and I think it's one of the, just the highs of the movie for just how boring things become some of the most interesting pieces of cinema ever. Like it's just I really am just so impressed with how they're able to make some of these things interesting with the, with the King speech, you know, somewhat of a historical biopic doing something kind of similar with its with its history you know does kind of feel boring at times they don't always make it that interesting and I got I'm just gonna say the King's Speech is a fine film but what seeing Fincher and Sorkin make this such a just a fun ride you just cannot compete with that and it's one of the reasons why I'm just really confounded with the King's Speech but you know I just am really impressed with with how well this movie is moving along and how much fun it's having at the same time yeah sorry you cut out there a little bit but I got that this is more fun than the King's Speech and I agree with that for sure like I was um engaged non-stop in this movie King's Speech I don't really remember laughing as much or um, being (laughs) as interested also the characters in king's speech are just a little too old you know i I like the i like the youthful energy of the Uh uh-huh yeah it really does add to the to the Uh casting you know and with the with the themes it 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 adds that we're focusing all on young characters here and that is a kind of something that fits in later with authority figures and the scene that i want to talk about next with you know, Sean Parker and them all at the dance club. I love seeing how this scene was made and just 
it, it feels somehow realistic when you know they can't hear each other. The sound design is, I think, is really at play here with them having to yell over the music and all that. I think it works really well. And also the story about the victorious, the victorious. Is that a parable? Yes, <laughs> that was a really great line as well. I think I just yeah. love the way it moves, you know, and with the perspective we're getting, you know, like I said, with the way Fincher keeps you in contact with their face you know and it seemed just just like just head on you know and i saw in the in the back of my like uh on the blu-ray case had certain pictures from the from the movie and they all kind of like looked like horror movie pictures you know, they, they, it, this kind of fits in with that i think on just the level that you take a certain picture from this movie and it could kind of feel like something from a horror movie and gives you some sort of sense of dread you know and I do think it's the way all the colors are at play here with Fincher's directing. And just to, like, I think that this is definitely, like if Justin Timberlake were to have been nominated and have won the Oscar for his performance, this would probably be the scene for me because I think this is really where his performance is at its best here, where he does, he's matching the sinister with the, the charm and charisma. And I think that that's what's working best here is, is his performance in this scene. And also the, this, the course dialogue and, and the sound design as well in this scene, I think is really good. Yeah, I mean, as low as his lows are, he's he's definitely like performance, you know, striking that balance. Um, he's definitely a fun guy to be around. I would say maybe he's not likable, but he's fun. Yeah, I also want to mention the uh, the Christie storyline that we have here with Eduardo's with Eduardo's girlfriend here. I do think that there is this movie doesn't play into some of the dark themes of social media as much as I think it could, but I think the Christie storyline is mm. probably where that is at play the most, I think, with her kind of a really, just kind of the paranoia she seems to have and how she is just like, yeah, it's right, 47 texts and all that, you know, and she's, she lights the scarf on fire and all of that. Like I, I, this movie doesn't play to some of the darker aspects of social media and Facebook as much, but this Christie storyline and just seeing how consumed she is and how like plugged in she is with this world is kind of something a little a, very haunting. I think when they focus on that, it is one of the strongest points of the movie, but it works well. I think the actress who plays her as well is hams it up in her final scenes and I think a really fun way. And the lying the scarf on fire was great, as of course. Yeah, I agree that the, the the media side of the socialization isn't really focused on in the social network. It's really talking more about the um, in-person socialization, like the relationships of people. And I definitely think, especially like earlier on with the face smash stuff, it, there's they're kind of questioning you know like if socialization is this bad in the real world like is this messy not maybe bad but messy and tricky and hard to get right you know how are these online tools gonna really uh, be used because you know they're not really inherently good or bad but it's the people who are using them that are gonna um, turn them into something either positive or negative so i agree it doesn't really focus on social media as much the social media wasn't as much of an issue at the time it's kind of pre all that or i guess early days um kind of garden of eden days mm -hmm. um there's definitely a focus on the socialization factor 
Yeah, definitely. And when when Eduardo comes back from New York and his internship and all that, this is, I think, one of the absolute highlights of Eduardo and Zuckerberg's relationship here is when he comes back and has that conversation with Mark in the hallway. I think it's when some of the cringe is just at its at its best here. And also one of just the highs for the performances here as well with Zuckerberg and his little Twizzler or whatever. And all of that. <laughs> I love that stuff as well. And then yeah, all this stuff in the hallway here with, with their argument, it's really where it's become most apparent that they're they're kind of recognizing there's kind of a problem here with their dynamic when we've kind of Edward's just kind of ignored it, you know, kind of just hasn't said anything. He's kept quiet. Here though, it really feels like he's letting it out here. And I do think that this is a good scene that sets up the later betrayal here in, in full force. I really do love this stuff. And the performances here, this is a scene where I think, you know, this, the dialogue and Fincher, all that's good, but this, the performances by Garfield and Eisenberg are elevating this scene in a, in a way that just words just don't do justice to. They're really, they really are making this scene. I think, um, it's a, a mark of Mark Zuckerberg's um, change as a character in this scene. Um, not that he's changed like from a personality perspective, but just because his situation is more adaptable to his personality, his personality is having more of an effect on his surroundings. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's got a little bit of an anarchist in him. Oh, <laughs> and, oh my you gosh. Know, getting a little crazy. <laughs> Eduardo, certainly not. What? Sorry, you're like, sorry, you're cutting up a little bit. That's nothing, nothing bad. You just brought an anarchist in there to calm me off guard a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, it's Fincher. <laughs> <laughs> Fight Club, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. He's now, you know, they've made the change to California, and that is make, putting Zuckerberg in a more comfortable in a more comfortable environment here where he's kind of like got people like wired in and all of that like all of those just those little details that are really just fitting into an environment that he feels more comfortable in and he can really be him i guess which is making him more unlikable which i think i guess says a little bit about the portrayal of zuckerberg in this movie that he's becoming you know more and more just not really caring about Eduardo's feelings at all. And that's, I think is really, I, I think it's well done that he is kind of becoming more comfortable in this environment. And that is in a way making his relationship with, with Eduardo more strained. Definitely. And he almost doesn't really see what he's doing. Like he has the um the appearance of friendship still he's like you really gotta come out here but then he says you know i'm afraid if you don't come out here you'll be left behind <laughs> uh, but so you should really come out here you know like he's it seems like he's making an effort but at the same time at the end of the day he's he's primed and ready to move past eduardo at this point yeah and when we were we're having these scenes of the rival as of them kind of becoming more and more as rivals you mentioned kind of the Martin the Trout, the chicken, and while this is played mostly for comedy, mm -hmm. when it's brought up in the scenes in the courtroom, I think in, in the in the court scenes, oh, yeah, okay. with, 
when it's mentioned more as kind of this moment for Zuckerberg as he's kind of making it a more good decision for Eduardo not wanting to bring this up, whether mm. that's just for the sake of appearances or not. I would like to believe that he genuinely did not want this to be mentioned. And I do think that that adds a really good detail oh, yeah. to this character that he kind of has this enduring moment where like, he's not this bad. He's not just out here to make Eduardo look bad. He feels kind of bad about this story and he doesn't really want to mention it later. He, he, he does feel kind of uncomfortable for this. And I don't even think Eduardo realizes kind of the role that this chicken story is playing here. But I think Zuckerberg's relationship with this little story thread here is, I think, a great detail for him. And one of the moments where he is kind of a genuinely like nice person. And it is a moment when Edward is kind of freaking out. Zuckerberg's kind of like like being funny a little bit and his kind of not really caring about this storyline and his, his kind of trying to have Edward not make a big deal about it. It's not really him being a jerk, I feel. It's him just kind of, you know, trying to keep tensions low and trying to ease him down a little bit. I think it's a good scene for Zuckerberg to, for once, see him be genuinely kind of nice. I think it's a scene we needed right before, you know, we get the betrayal. Are you talking about the digs at the hacking race thing, the little hacking party for the internship? No, that does kind of play in, I think, to the to the scene to the scene I'm talking about is where we have kind of this moment where Zuckerberg is a little nicer. I'm mostly bringing up the the, the chicken scene. the chicken story is really what I'm bringing up here is that and Zuckerberg's kind of apprehension to not bring up the story. I thought that that added a bit of a character detail for yeah, him that he's in the, not totally this blood sucking monster to, in these courtroom scenes. Yes, the oops scene in the courtroom is what you're talking about. Yes. But I was mentioning in the uh, hacking scene with um, Eduardo, he does mention the chicken. And he he kind of says like that one of the requirements for the internship is that you have to keep a chicken alive for more than a week, mm. and. You know, he apologizes right after, but at the same time, it's like that, that even though in the courtroom scenes, he doesn't want to brought up because it's embarrassing and, you know, he still feels friendship towards Eduardo. Mm -hmm. I think when the event was actually occurring, he was upset with Eduardo for allowing that kind of thing to happen. Do you mm -hmm. think he planted the story? Um, no, I don't. I think that what we have been, what we have yeah. been seeing, I'd like to believe he didn't. I'd like you know, and we, if we get into whether Zuckerberg is portrayed correctly in this movie, I do think that for the sake of drama and in good writing, it makes it better for him to not have planted this story and for him to kind of do his best to keep this story not being mentioned for the sake of Eduardo's kind of uh, future career and for Facebook. I, I think it it plays in better right. for the drama if this is not Zuckerberg's doing. I just, it makes Zuckerberg a little more endearing at times, which is what this movie needs. I agree. And also he seemed a little upset with Eduardo about the story because of the way it made Facebook look or the Facebook at the time. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think he planted the story, but it also shows that he was a little bit ticked off with Eduardo for that whole thing happening just because he was worried about how it would affect Facebook. Obviously, it didn't really hurt Facebook that much, which is why he didn't really want it brought up in the courtroom scenes. But it definitely shows that he's kind of torn between his friendship with Eduardo and his goals with Facebook. Although yeah. I think 
he fall he errs on the side of friendship enough that it's um I still like the character throughout yeah, the whole definitely. movie, really. Yeah, I don't hate Mark Zuckerberg in this movie. Like I think he we with the with the mm. scene and a few others, he's got moments where I do think that he is uh, an enduring character you get his frustration and when eduardo cancels uh the, the account at the bank and zuckerberg is really I, this is one of the spotlights for iceberg on how well he's able to deliver this fast sort this fast sorkin dialogue is he's just going on and on and on and on about you know he doesn't want to go back to that life where he's just this outcast and i think it's a true moment for zuckerberg it's kind of why you get why he is doing this is that it was it sucked for him to you know be such an outcast at harvard and that he's kind of he's getting so close to being kind of cool he, he's getting there and then you know he cashes <laughs> a check for, for an account that's not even there you know and i think that was a a great scene mm -hmm. for uh for eisenberg and a great scene you know just for zuckerberg as a character that we are kind of getting a moment for him where you get why he does not want to revert back to this outcast life in harvard yeah and again it shows how all of the developments with facebook are tied into some kind of character moment it's not just about facebook like he doesn't want facebook to crash like you said so that he will not have to return to the outcast state that he was in like he uh -huh. is looking for the socialization himself yeah i i do agree and even though we kind of have this scene with mark where like oh yeah he's not that bad i know why he's doing this the next scene was that we get the moment you know we get the, the reason why why eduardo is in this courtroom why we're having these courtroom scenes it's because eduardo's uh, percentage got diluted down to 0.03%. And then the delivery on that line where mm. for Garfield, where he really does just kind of really, it, it's so cold. And it's a, it's also correct to the background music for, for Reznor and Atticus Ross that it really just feels like a oof, like just a, a crushing moment when you <laughs> realize what his ownership share was diluted down to it. It's a cold moment. And man, I think that this is just the spotlight scene for Eisenberg and Garfield, just, and particularly Garfield in the scene, he just bursts out those doors, smashes the computer and is just yelling. And I think it's it's so well done here. I The passion in the, between these two actors and their chemistry, it's on fire here. Tim Blake is really an afterthought for me here. I wish he'd shut up, frankly. Like, what's the chicken? What's the chicken? Like, just shut up. Let's just do Tash it out, please. I'm enjoying this stuff. Like, for me, just this back and forth with with Jesse Eisenberg and Garfield here, it's on fire here. It's it really just the, the passion in this scene is is just at 11 here. It's fantastic. This is one of those this is one of those great scenes for me that really does just sum up how great this movie is. The, it pays off so well the reveal why we're here, because, you know, I didn't know why they're in the courtroom scenes. I don't know anything about the making of Facebook. And this was one of the actual things that was kept in, you know, and you just, it, you're so torn, you know, because for me, it, Zuckerberg kind of has a good point. You were the businessman of the company and you made bad, a bad business decision with your own company. You know, it it is kind of a moment also where Eduardo kind of has a bit of like, it is a little bit of a 
stupid move for him to to sign those papers and agree to all this and not really know exactly what was going on and you you do have that bit of just this tearing moment really for both of these characters here i think that the acting's in full force here directed the smash the computer they smashed actual computers i love seeing that behind the scenes as well just the the repeated takes of andrew garfield smashing the computers that was really cool to see as well i think this scene is working so well for me i love it i I really do think that this is some great stuff here and man like i said the performances are fantastic i mean i think that this scene with with jesse eisberg trumps anything colin firth did with the king's speech even though i do think colin firth was good in that movie yeah i really agree with you on all points i think sean parker's interruptions are annoying and it's very much like you don't belong in this conversation but i think it's key to the um it's a key part to the scene because it's proof positive that sean parker you know is not an originator of Facebook. He wasn't there through the thick and thin like Eduardo was. And he doesn't even like understand what they're talking about because he's, you know, he came in late. He's uh he came in just early enough to be, you know, to have the shares, but he really was kind of like um uh, a little late to the party. And yes. so it's it's a great scene, like you said, all all, all uh points. Yeah, and then we got we're already kind of skeptical of Sean Parker. Like we're kind of like, oh dear, you're you're not really as cool as we thought you were. And then we have kind of the party scene where he just really, really just messes it up, you know. And like I mentioned earlier, him just rambling on and on about no, oh, we're living in a digital world. We were we're from caves, we live in villages, then we live in cities, then we live on the internet you know it, it's just this moment of him just rambling on and on it's a really pathetic moment i think for him when he's kind of leaned up against the wall with his little inhaler and just kind of he just sounds like some weird paranoid dude probably high just like i do think it was or or, or whatever one of the, or us um whatever that guy, Manningham, Mitchell Manningham, do you think it was him? You know, he's just rambling on and on and on. And it's a great delivery by Jesse Eisenberg when he just goes, you're done. And it's one of the great things about flip, flip, flip phones. You're able to shut them just like that. And you get that sound, you know, there's no, there's nothing satisfying about clicking a button on your iPhone anymore. But that little, that little shut, that really adds to the the sting that this scene has and it's i think it's ultimately kind of the moment where we're, we're done you know with sean parker and he's he's really just he, we've turned against him at this point there's nothing endearing anymore about this character yeah i agree in the aftermath when he's acting paranoid but i, I think in the um party scene he's talking about instagram and I, I didn't think he was just rambling, but I, I see what you mean. He's, you know, it's kind of out there on his theories about living on the internet. But I mean, was he wrong? I don't. <laughs> I I, I kind of like that scene. Uh-huh. As like, I like his it, lines know. there too. I think Sorkin is. I think Sorkin still uh, got some good points there. Um, but yeah, uh, by the end of the scene, it kind of shows his downfall because he's kind of like, you know, at the beginning of the scene, he's talking about like the very um, basically the future of you know the world and he's kind of on that cutting edge of it and then by the end he's completely shut out of it and you know he's probably going to face some kind of charges for like 
uh, distribution of cocaine to minors or something. Like he's definitely, definitely got some kind of legal <laughs> issues to deal with. So his downfall in that single scene, or I guess two scenes, I, I guess it's one scene. I don't know. It's pretty quick though. It's, pretty quick <laughs> it's one scene. Yeah, it's one scene. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's I a very quick downfall. And we have had these moments as well with the themes of the movie about how we are moving into more of a digital world. And it, and it comes into these scenes really, I think, the best when Zuckerberg is talking about why Facebook is so important, why this is going to be such a big deal, and that people are going to go online to see people that they know, you know, and that's why the Facebook is going to be such a big deal. I do think that they explain the importance of Facebook and this, this new digital age that we're going into around this time. I think really well. And that I, I just feel like the, the scenes with Sean Parker do feel more like a bit more rambling, but like they do hint into the themes as well, though, like when Zuckerberg is explaining why the Facebook is so important. I think what those themes shine the most when we have scenes like that with Zuckerberg explaining it. Um, but yeah, I think that this this puts a capper to the to the kind of the, the I guess this is the past it puts it into the past scenes really well and we kind of end off with the core and with Rashida Jones which I mean, we've already kind of talked about that didn't think it ended as strongly with that line but it pays off pretty darn well when we can finish it off with um Mark Zuckerberg just kind of staring at the computer screen uh clicking refresh seeing if Erica Allright accepted his friend request i mean this i think sums up the tragedy of social media and sums up this mark zuckerberg character as in the end it didn't it this wasn't how it was with sean parker but in the end it all comes back to this one person how he wasn't able to win her over and he made that mistake and that's you know that's not the realistic way of what happened in this movie that's why the Facebook was created. And in the end, he's just looking to see if she accepted his friend request, you know, sets up, I think, our puts it into this tragedy, I think, very well with, I think, some good facts at the end, you know, with the little title cards and all that about what happened later and all of that. And also that Facebook is like now, like what, like, what did it say, like 6 billion or something like that? Now it's like over like 800 billion, you know, I, I think it just, really it, it's also something to laugh at now seeing where it was even 11 years ago and how much bigger it's gotten now and it, this it just seems to only be growing you know and yeah i think this is a really it's a real it's a stinger you know to end it off this way but it, it works i think very very well yeah the emotion um is kind of catches you off guard i think with the the first time around with the Andrew Garfield scene, but from then on, I think it's pretty consistently like heartfelt and uh, definitely the refreshing scene is uh, kind of the capper on all that emotion. Drops mm -hmm. it all off. Yeah. Really well. <laughs> it's great. I like it. I think it's a good movie. You know what? It's good. So yeah, Patrick, do you recommend the social network and why? I highly recommend the social network because I had a great time watching it. And <laughs> furthermore, <laughs> um, it is a nonstop enjoyable movie. There's, it's really hard to nitpick any technical elements of the movie. 
it's really hard to nitpick any storytelling or artistic side of the movie. It's hard to nitpick any of the performances. Even the most minor performances mm-hmm. are really stellar. So, yes. I mean, if you like movies that are at that level, you're probably going to enjoy this movie. And I think even people that don't generally enjoy movies that are like really top quality like artistically will enjoy this movie for sure like i think anyone would enjoy this movie unless you're like super off put by all of the insults that are thrown around because there's a lot of those fair warning <laughs> yeah i really don't see why anybody wouldn't enjoy this movie i mean i really do think it's got it all you know it's fun but it, it has some great drama and it's also kind of even though it's not factually correct i don't think you should go to it with that mind it's got some fun little facts about the making of facebook and you know it's it, for me it really does have it all like i said at the beginning of the episode it's, it succeeds in every category that it goes for acting directing writing I'm going to say I think this movie is the one that should have won Best Picture. I, I really do. I just think that it it really feels the one that deserves it the most. It's got the writing behind it. It's got the acting. It's got the directing. It, it, I, this is probably the closest that Fincher's ever gotten to winning Best Director. I can't believe the director of Cats took it from them. That really just just say that just repeat that over well, your he head. wasn't the he wasn't the director of cats at the time he had that in his brain he had that quote-unquote talent <laughs> in his mind you gave the oscar to the man who would go down by directing cats my gosh in anyway putting the cats stuff aside i really do love this movie i think this is one that should be revisited just annually you know i mean this is one that i think holds up so well that not many movies do it looks like it looks really good you know even 2010 2011 movies they kind of have that still kind of that early 2000s type of camera work and and lighting and cam and just the camera style to them but to but the sister network and Inception really do have that. They really feel sleek. They feel like they were there. They just feel current. They feel a part of the conversation, even now, both visually and in their writing. And the social network is just the pinnacle of that, really. The, the performances, the act, the uh, the writing, the score. I mean, my gosh, just one of the best scores of the past few decades you know it is just a it's a really great score and of course our our star of the retrospective david fincher in here just comes in did an incredible job directing this movie he really did it his directing is all over this i used to think that aaron sorkin was kind of the star of this movie you know like he is really what makes this movie but it's a really it's a if this movie did win best picture it should be david fincher and aaron sorkin walking up to receive the Oscar because they're both a part of this movie and I think a really great way because Aaron Sorkin never made a movie this good you know and that's I think that really says that he's got the key ingredient here and that's Fincher and then I cannot give this a strong recommend it's one of my favorite movies people need to see this movie if you haven't if you haven't seen it in a while you still should sit back and revisit this movie again um because man, it's an absolutely fun time, but also really chilling and dramatic. And I think some incredible mind blowing ways. 
So it is a strong, strong recommend. Go see the social network people. And um, there you go. So that is it. That is our the social network conversation. And boom, there you go. Another one down. We've got what? Three more <laughs> left. Woo! Boy. All right. Well, before we talk about what we're going to see next uh, with our Fed Trade perspective, what do you plan to see on the sides, Patrick? What do you plan to see next? What are the five movies that you want to see soon? Uh, well, I'm going to keep watching Mindhunter. I'm going to rewatch Orpheus, as I said. Um, I am still hoping to watch Spartacus, although every time I go to watch it, I just... I don't know. I'm worried that it's too early in Kubrick's career, that he's not developed enough. Um, I'm worried that it's too long. I'm worried that Kirk Douglas isn't going to grab me. And I know I'm going to oh! be proven wrong in every respect when I go and watch it. I, I know I'm going to be wrong about all that stuff when I watch it. I just, it's, it's one of those mental blocks for me. I don't know. I can't get over it. But one day I will watch it. I'll probably try and watch Akira now that I know how to find it. Um, oh. <laughs> and... <laughs> go ahead. Wait, what? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think that's it. All right. Well, for me, Patrick, I've got a few up my sleeve here. All the President's Men, starring Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. I've heard good things about this one, Patrick. It sounds one. cool. It's one of those great newspaper type movies you know spotlight and those movies could do a mm -hmm. really great thing like you know really grabbing me really getting me invested and if this movie does that then i think i'm on board for something really good so i also have not i don't think i've ever seen a thomas newman movie be oh no i mean a robert redford movie besides the captain america films so and pete's dragon so I don't feel like I'm doing him credit. So I want to see something where he can really stretch his legs, do some really great dramatic work. So there you go. All the President's Men. The next one I'm going to say, hmm, The Manchurian Candidate. This is a little conspiracy movie. I've got the Frank Sinatra one, for those of you who are wondering. Um, I've heard good things about this movie. I have not seen a Frank Sinatra movie either. I don't know if he's a good actor or not. Patrick, if you have seen a movie with him in it, please let me know if he's good or not, because that'll probably hint into when I see this or not. But um, I, it's a good little conspiracy. Um, I'm not sure if I have, honestly. You know, oh, okay. So I guess I'll report back and see whether I think Frank Sinatra is a good actor yeah, or not. But um, anyway, I love a good little conspiracy theory. And this kind of feels like a, it'd be a good Ooh. movie to watch. So there you go. I'm also going to put the French Connection in there as well. Uh, I've heard really good things about this. I've heard it referenced a little bit in the past. So that's one that I'm wanting to check out as well. And also, I think number four, Close Encounters of the Third Kind by Steven Spielberg. I've heard good things about this one. It's one of his sci-fi fantasy classics. Came out the same year as Star Wars. I know which one's going to be better, but I still want to check this one out because I've 
it's it's Steven Spielberg. This was when he made good movies, and also this is a sci-fi classic for in many in many ways. And then number five, um, I'm gonna say Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which um is the next <laughs> on my Oscar list, and you know I don't really want to see it. But I've got to report back. I got it because this movie's gotten nominated for a lot of Oscars. I feel it, it just feels like it's in there quite a bit. And I also want to see the last Chadwick Boseman performance as well, because may he rest in peace. But I really liked his work in Black Panther. I haven't seen him in any dramatic stuff. So I guess I go to see how he does there. It would be a real shame if I came back and said Chadwick Boseman just absolutely sucked in this movie. So let's cross our fingers and say that's not that, that that's not the case. Um, but there you go. Those are five movies I'm hoping to see soon. And Patrick, up next, just in 2011, one year after the Social Network, we will be talking about the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yes, great Chinesner song, Patrick. The opening credits for this movie. I'm gonna blow your mind. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm excited for this one. I this is yeah. I have never seen this movie. Super excited to watch it though. I started the Swedish version. Oh, um, didn't get very far in that. Not okay. that it was bad at all. It was just it seemed like uh more uh the scope of the story was a little more than I was in the mood for at that time. Like it was really getting into some political stuff that I was like, I don't feel like following this right now, but maybe I'll go back one day. But I think Fincher will nail this one. I'm super excited. This is the big one for me, Patrick, in coming up next in our Fincher retrospective. I know, I feel like I know what you're gonna think about Gone Girl. I don't know about Mank, but Girl to Drank Tizzy, this is a weird movie. It, it really is. This is a real wild card to quote the social network um, for Fincher. It, <laughs> It's uh, it's a really weird movie. I'm gonna hold for those of you who have not kept in track with our French perspective. I'm just gonna hold my hand close to the chest for a little bit on how I feel about this movie. I'm excited to rewatch it though because this will be the third time I've seen this movie, so that'll be an interesting rewatch. Um, so there you go. That will be what we talk about next. It's also got Rooney Mara and James Bond. How about that? Daniel Craig returning to the Movie Main X podcast. That'll be pretty cool to see. But uh, anyway, that is what we will return to with episode 64 of the Movie Main X podcast. And um, we'll just, I guess we're just continuing this venture retrospective. Patrick is off the grid. He is just, he's incognito as normal. I am over at my blog, thenonugumhub.blogspot.com. And I am also over at Letterboxd. My handle is my name. And uh, hopefully people will know that by now. You can let us know what you think of the social network of David Fincher as a film auteur at moviemainnext2020 at gmail.com. You can also give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll be back with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And boy, I'm very excited to see what the thoughts are from you, Patrick, on that movie. And so we'll be continuing our retrospective with the Golden Dragon Tattoo.